0: All right, let's take out our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. You can use your pew Bibles to Romans chapter 12, or you can read along on the screen, or you can pull out your device and use that, Romans chapter 12, however it is that you access God's Word. Romans chapter 12, as I said earlier, that we are going through the book of Romans since fall. And we come now to the third section. We've said before that there are three sections in the book of Romans. That the very first section, Romans 1-3, through Paul diagnoses the human race. And he finds that those outside the church and those inside the church, that all of us are to some extent unrighteous. That those outside the church suppress the truth of God. They suppress the truth of God. They suppress the truth of a creator God, even though they know in their hearts there must be a God. They suppress it because they want to continue in unrighteousness. And just when those who are Christians, those who are inside the church, just when we start feeling really great about ourselves, Paul throws a haymaker in chapter 2, and he says that those inside the church... We are just like those people outside the church, especially when we are judgmental. If you were to ask those outside the church what their impression is of those of us inside the church, 80% of them would say hypocritical and judgmental. Now, we can own the hypocritical part because all of us are hypocrites. I've said before that when people say the church is filled with hypocrites, that's not quite true because I usually will tell them there's always room for one more. You know, we have all hypocrites, but as far as being judgmental, that's something that we shouldn't really own. And so Romans 1 through 3 is the diagnosis of the human race. And finally in chapter 3, Paul says there are none righteous, no not one, that we are all depraved, that all of us need something outside of ourselves. And so he paints a pretty bleak picture. And when you read the picture of what he paints, or you see that picture, you start to understand the depravity of man. And so, so then, after this diagnosis in chapter 4 through 11, we have this section on the Deliverer. And this section on the Deliverer is, of course, about nothing but Jesus. And Paul unpacks nothing but Jesus in every possible way. He looks at every angle, and he gloriously and graciously walks us through what nothing but Jesus means, what nothing but Jesus is. And he even discusses in Romans 7 the ongoing struggle that all of us have, even when living out of nothing but Jesus. That all of us continue to struggle against sin. That if we aren't, as Martin Luther said, the worst sinner that we know, then we don't know ourselves very well. And that causes us to be humble. That causes us to be gracious. That causes the church, when we have that attitude, to be the first place that those hurting, those broken, those weary, those who are worn down by the world, it's the first place that they want to come to instead of the last place, which is many times, sadly, what happens. So after these two sections, we come to the third great section, The description in Romans 12 through 16 of what a person gripped, truly gripped, by nothing but Jesus, what their life will look like. Because most of us, all of us to some extent, we are not nearly living the lives we could live. Because we aren't really serious about nothing but Jesus, Some simply aren't serious about it because maybe you just scoff at it. Maybe you think that there's something more. You think it's great for worship, but when it comes to the practical, nothing but Jesus doesn't really help. Or you think that it it works for the spiritual things perhaps, but not for the cultural things. Not for the big problems in our culture. Not for the big issues of life. Like marriage problems, applying nothing but Jesus, or a relational issue. Or you think nothing but Jesus may work inside the church, but when it comes to outside the church, all bets are off. We think nothing but Jesus applies to this area of my life, but please don't touch that area of my life. Nothing but Jesus applies to that person, and her, and him, but not To me, we say nothing but Jesus on Sunday morning, but the minute our spouse pushes the wrong button, gets on our nerves, whatever it may be, nothing but Jesus goes out the window. We say nothing but Jesus, but our hearts are dependent on what other people think of us. Other people's opinions, even though we have everything we need in Christ, as we just sang. In other words, nothing but Jesus seems to work well when we're singing, Christ is enough for me. When we're singing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When we're singing, I surrender all. But it doesn't work so much during the week. Romans 12-16 through gives us a description of what the nothing but Jesus life looks like on the ground. So over the next many weeks, we're going to unpack Romans 12 through 16 and see what nothing but Jesus means in our relationships, in our thought lives, in cultural issues. What does nothing but Jesus mean when it comes to the way we relate to others? What does it mean? Paul describes what a nothing but Jesus life will look like, and it has a lot to do with the way we relate to others. Martin Luther again said that God, listen, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. These first two verses in Romans chapter 12, this is the thesis statement for the remainder of the book. If you don't get these first two verses, then you won't get the rest of the book. So let's look at Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says something here that would have shocked the first readers of Romans. He says that we're supposed to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, we're kind of used to terms like that when it comes to the Bible, but the first readers would have been shocked by this term because the word sacrifice literally means killing. Paul is saying, offer your bodies as a living killing. Remember the last series we did on apparent contradictions? that all through the doctrine of God, there are apparent contradictions, things that seem to contradict each other, but don't? Here we have another one, a paradox. Offer yourself as a living killing. Here we go again. How is that even possible? The first readers of Romans, they would have immediately thought of the sacrificial system. They would have immediately thought of bringing sacrifices to the temple for forgiveness of sins. And the way they would do it is they would bring an animal, and the animal would be killed first and then sacrificed. Paul's saying here, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That seems pretty intense. The animal wasn't alive when it was sacrificed. The animal was killed. Here it isn't a dead animal it's a sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. A living killing. It basically means you were going to be alive. You are going to live your life. But if you are living a nothing but Jesus life, listen closely. If you are living a nothing but Jesus life, something is always being killed inside of you. Something is always being killed. Something is being purposely put to death. What is that thing purposely being sacrificed, being killed, being put to death? You, me, a living killing. You are both living and being killed. It's an incredible paradox. But that is the whole ballgame when it comes to living a nothing but Jesus life. The whole thing. That is the act of self-forgetfulness. The act of self selflessness. That is the essence of what it means to live a nothing but Jesus life. That's the narrow path. When Paul says in verse 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, he's saying the pattern of this world is what's in it for me. The pattern of this world is entitlement. The pattern of this world is what can you do for me? What can I extract from you? How can I make you like me? How can I keep your friendship? In marriages, what can you do for me? That's the pattern of this world. The pattern of nothing but Jesus is one of self-sacrifice. And so Paul basically piles it on from here to show us what it means to truly be a living sacrifice. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. First, offering yourself as a living sacrifice is to see yourself as you really are. And Paul shows us where that starts in this verse. He shows us by showing us the way we are saved. How is it that we're saved? Paul says that even the faith that we have here is a gift from God. Even the faith that we're given to believe, that's a gift. Notice what he says, the faith that God distributes to each one of you. Not the faith that you muster up. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that requires it. That's it. That's all we contribute to our salvation. That should cause us to be sober about ourselves, to be self-forgetful. And when we're sober about ourselves, we become living sacrifices. I mean, think about how that one thing could change every relationship that you have. Every relationship. Think about how it could change marriages. Think about how it could change friendships, relationships in the family, to be sober about yourself, to see yourself for what you are, to not think more highly than you ought to. Just one example of how this plays out. You know, we think about the way families are, And I was listening to a marriage and family counselor the other day, and he used this excellent illustration. He said that many times families were a lot like the families in the Old Testament, all the dysfunctional families in the Old Testament. But yet we don't, like, physically kill each other. Because remember the very first family, Cain and Abel? Remember how Cain actually physically killed Abel? Abel, these two brothers, I mean, not much has changed since then, right? And his point was, as he said, we don't physically kill each other. Maybe some people do, or maybe you want to, but we don't necessarily do that. But instead, what families do many times is we wrap our hands around each other's necks all at the same time, not enough to immediately strangle each other, but kind of slowly strangle each other, from day to day to day, week to week, month to month, for many, many decades, and we all die slow deaths together. You know, I mean, that's a pretty pathetic picture, but it's true. It's true when you think about it, and why is it that we do that is because we are thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Instead of self forgetfulness, self consumption. You know, one um, example of this is when you are wrong. When you are wrong, which is most of the time. When I'm wrong, it's most of the time. It's in most every conflict. All of us are wrong to some extent. And so a self-forgetful person, a person who is living as a living sacrifice, who is offering themselves, knows how to apologize when they're wrong. Think about that in relationships, in friendships, in marriages, in parenting. Just the act of saying, I'm sorry. Just the act of saying that to your child. I'm sorry. And then, will you forgive me? Listen, when you've wronged someone, see this all the time, especially someone close to you, and you don't apologize. And everyone around you knows that you're wrong and you argue your points, and you don't listen to reason, you're placing a tremendous burden on the person you have wronged. You're asking them to do the impossible. You're hardening them towards you and towards others. It's extremely cruel not to seek forgiveness when you've wronged someone. It's self-consumed is what it is. The person you wronged may give into your argument. They may placate you, but they will carry with them perhaps the rest of their life the burden. They will carry with them the burden of the wrong that, they, that you have done to them. When we don't apologize, we're thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And we're not applying sober judgment to ourselves. You know... When that sound effect just went off just then, and all of our attention went to that sound effect. I think that may have been, you know, I don't know, Satan or something, trying to get all of us to not focus on what I just said. I've always wanted to say something like that. I've heard preachers say that before. Um, And so I thought I would take my opportunity. Ironically, when we don't apologize, ironically, when we are not self-forgetful, ironically, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, that is not the lighter life. That is not the burden-free life. That is not even the free life. That is the life that is constricted. That is a life of slavery. I mean, think how much energy it takes to remain sad, to remain mad. To not apologize. Think of the burden you are placing on yourself and on others when you live that way. A living sacrifice thinks of themselves with sober judgment. What about you? A living sacrifice also loves in a certain way. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. I mean, we just skip over verses like that. Let love be genuine. Okay. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Let the weight of those words sink in. I mean, really sink in. Paul is saying that a nothing but Jesus life, relationally, is when your love is genuine. This is where the law of God is deep. Way deeper than many times we care to admit or understand or observe. Because what we do is we'll set up the law of God. We'll say when it comes to loving others, you know, let's say that we have a conflict with someone. Let's say that this conflict or somebody has hurt you or someone has demeaned you and happens a lot. So you've been offended. You've been hurt. And success for you may be that you don't talk about them behind their back. You know, that's success. That you don't tell them off. That when you see them, you're the bigger person. You know, that kind of thing, those kinds of attitudes, that's success. What Paul is saying here is that that's a low view of the law. That's a low view of what it means to love. He says here that your love should not be fake, but be authentic. To authentically love even those who hurt you. Someone hurts you, someone offends you. You don't give them the cold shoulder. You don't talk about them. You're the bigger person and you think that's success. What Paul's saying here, as admirable as that is, that doesn't even come close to what Paul is saying is available to us in a nothing but Jesus life. Because to respond the way I described, which is a good response, most people don't even come close to responding that well. If you think you can respond that way and be pleasing to God, you have a very low view of the law of God. Because it is law. Let your love be genuine. I hope we get that. And we do this for all of our behaviors. We set up this horrible standard, this low standard of the law. So that person you can't stand. You can't stand the sound of their voice. You can't stand the way they talk about you the way they betrayed you whatever it may be the damage they've done in your life paul says success isn't smiling at them success isn't refraining from defriending them on facebook you know success isn't you know not gossiping about them being the bigger person success is letting the love flow genuinely from inside of you it's amazing And ironically, again, a life of this kind of love, even for those who hurt you, is a lighter life. It's a less burdensome life. It's a freer life. You wouldn't think it is. You would think that real freedom is getting even. I mean, we love that stuff. We love getting even. I love getting even. We love plotting getting even. We love hitting back if someone hits us. You know, and it's not just in those kinds of conflicts. It's in normal friendships. What can I extract from you? What can you give to me? For you and for them, it's a lighter way to live, to love authentically, to forget yourself, to be self-forgetful, a living sacrifice. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I love this next part. Outdo one another in showing honor. Parents, isn't this a great verse for our children, you know? Please outdo each other. You know, have a competition with each other, children, to see which one can win the prize for winning the other one the best. Wouldn't that be amazing? Think about the impact that would have on our families if we were to live that way. How can I outdo you in loving you? How can I be more selfless than you are being? How can I be more joyful in you than you are being? What impact would that have on our marriages? I mean, we're not even close to that. Not even close. Bringing peace to some marriages would be like brokering peace between Israel and Palestine. It's just as difficult. Think about extended families. I mean, how we just kind of tolerate each other many times. Some of you are, you've dragged incredible conflicts in with you, impossible conflicts in with you. Outdo each other. See it as a competition to see who can be the most loving to the other. Okay, what about when the other person is absolutely wrong? I mean, absolutely wrong. Look at verse 14. It doesn't get any easier. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Remember who Paul is writing to. The early church, those living in Rome, those who were living under Nero and those under emperors after him who endured real persecution. And Paul says to them, Bless those who persecute you. I mean, when we think of persecution in the early church, we think of some of the horrible things. I mean, Nero, and I don't like to share this, but it's good for us to know what persecution is. Nero would actually have Christians tarred, and he would light them on fire, bury them in the ground, and use them as torches during his parties. That's the kind of persecution we're talking about. But not all who are reading this would have been touched by that, but they would have been touched by systemic persecution. that would have been all through local government. There would have been people in their lives. There would have been people, even family members, who were persecuting them. There would be local officials who were bribing them, who knew they were Christians, and would bribe them in order to keep them quiet about their Christianity. Persecution was rampant, even from those in the church even from those, the Jewish people, even from those from the, uh, from the temple, from the first temple and the second temple, those people would persecute the early Christians. And Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. What about you? I mean, what about me? What about the relationships that you have in your life? I mean, I don't know about you, but the more I read this passage, and I'm not even scraping the surface, I'm like a fool up here trying to, you know, expose what the law says about our condition. But I don't know about you, but for me, I become more and more, I don't know, not discouraged, but maybe a little bit discouraged in myself. Because, you know, many times, the more Christ-like we are, the more people want to abuse us and crucify us. I mean, I wish I could say to you, after all of this that I've said, that if you do these things, your life will go well. But it won't. You will be abused. You will be walked all over. You will be crucified when you walk this narrow path. I have a class that I teach at at GCA. Um, That's our homeschool department here, the church. And the book that we're reading this uh, semester, it's called Do the Hard Things. And it's basically written by a couple of um, young people who wrote about young people doing the hard things early in life. And so at the very beginning... I told the kids, I said, you know, it's grace that compels us. Very careful to center the teaching on nothing but Jesus. But as each chapter kind of piles on, the themes become almost redundant. So each week I have the kids write a summary of what they learned. I want to read to you one of the summaries from one of the students. She wrote this. She wrote, in this chapter, they made a point that often the smallest things are the hardest things to do. Whether it be doing chores, studying for a test, or watching a sibling, we often feel unmotivated to do things that feel small or insignificant. These two do a great job of diagnosing teenagers. They even provide a list of five reasons why small things are hard to do. They tell us everything we could ever want to know about these types of small things, except they hardly mention why we should even be motivated to clean our rooms or go to school. I noticed a severe lack of the gospel in this chapter. And that's usually what we get when it comes to this chapter, Romans 12. Usually the sermon will stop right here. Love authentically, bless those who persecute you, no matter what happens, the end. There's not a lot of hope in that, mostly discouragement. She goes on, we can read about all the things we aren't doing or should be doing, but nothing really changes unless we grasp the gospel Hebrews nine fourteen states, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When you understand the price of Christ's blood, you are filled with a desire to turn from dead works and serve Jesus. We shouldn't force ourselves to do menial tasks because we believe they will prepare us to do future bigger things. We should strive to do everything with a joyful attitude and focused diligence because of our desire to serve Jesus. I almost started crying when I read that. She gets it. She's getting nothing but Jesus. She's getting that everything that I preached up until this point, is impossible. It's impossible. It's an impossible standard. It's an impossible standard to meet. It should cause us to see the way we should live, yes, but it should also cause us to be on our faces, on our knees, and say, I need you, Jesus. I need your righteousness, not my own. The sermon cannot end there. I haven't said that in a while, but if I stopped the sermon right now, you would have gotten some practical advice. But if you listened carefully and did a serious self-evaluation, you would see that you fall way, way short, and so do I. We all do. Because the thing is, even if you do these things, life will still be hard. You'll still be walked all over. Romans 12, 1, in that verse... Paul gives us the key to the fuel that we need. And look at what Paul says there. Paul says, I urge you. He doesn't say, I command you. Notice that. He says, I urge you. The people he's writing to are already famous for the gospel. We saw that in Romans 1. They're already nothing but Jesus people. But Paul is saying, this is what your life could be. This is the next level. This is going deeper and deeper into Jesus. And he urges them because he doesn't have to command them. He urges them because it's love, parents listen, and not law that compels good behavior. Love and not law. He urges them because he's appealing to a greater motivation. But also notice that Paul starts in chapter 12 with a phrase. In some versions, it's just a word. And that word is therefore. Why does he say therefore? In other words, because of what you have just heard. Because you believe what you have just heard. And what have we just heard? We've just heard in chapters 4 through 11 about the deliverer. We've just seen Paul unpack nothing but Jesus in every way possible. And Paul is saying that is the key for living the way he suggests and urges in Romans 12. And then he adds, in view of God's mercies. In view of his mercies. Study his mercies. He could have just said, do this, do it. But he adds, in view of God's mercy, and the word for viewing there is to view from all angles, to look into the heart of what he said previously. Paul's saying, ponder what I've shared with you about the gospel. Ponder it. Immerse yourself in that mercy. If you immerse yourself in that mercy, your life will begin to look like Romans 12. You'll begin to love authentically. Paul is saying, ponder deeply nothing but Jesus. That's because of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. That we don't have to live under condemnation. That's what he said. He's saying, ponder that. He's saying, go back to Romans 4 through 11. Therefore, because of what you have already heard, because you believe this, do you believe this? Do you believe this nothing but Jesus stuff? Or do you skip right over Romans 4 through 11? Do you skip right over that and do it of your own power? That there is therefore no condemnation. If there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then we don't have to extract acceptance from other people and love from other people. We can be a living sacrifice and live a free, burden-free life. That because of nothing but Jesus, because of what he did in his life, death, and resurrection, we have freedom, Paul said in Romans 4-11, through from the law of sin and death. And that compels us to love deeply. That because of nothing but Jesus, we can be spiritually minded in our relationships. That things that seem impossible to do in the natural man, impossible to love that person, impossible to love my spouse that we can tap into supernatural strength and power because of nothing but Jesus. That because of nothing but Jesus, we don't have to live under the power of our earthly bodies and what feels good. We can be led by the Spirit of Christ and not by our emotions. That because of nothing but Jesus, our older brother, our older brother is that true Glorious and gracious older brother, Jesus Christ, that we are adopted into his family. That our older brother isn't like that miserable, law driven older brother in the prodigal son story. That this older brother, Jesus, he is the one who runs to us. When the prodigal comes home, he is the one who then brings us to the Father and says, look, I've clothed him in righteousness. I've put a ring on his finger. I've given him a robe of righteousness because of nothing but Jesus. When we live that way out of Romans 4 through 11, when nothing but Jesus is our fuel, watch out in our relationships, in our marriages, that we are joint heirs with Christ That because of nothing but Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Christ, Romans 8 says, helps us in our weaknesses, whispers to us again and again and again, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. That we, when we can't pray, when we don't have the words to pray, that the Holy Spirit of Christ prays for us. That because of nothing but Jesus, we are declared exhaustively and totally forgiven and fully justified. That God cannot love us anymore. That if we love deeply and authentically and all of the things that I've said, God's not going to love us anymore. And if we don't do those things, He's not going to love us any less because it is finished, it is assured. God's love for us cannot be added to by our good works and we can't diminish his love by our foolishness and failures. That because of nothing but Jesus, all things work together for the good of those who love him. So difficult relationships, people who hurt you, people who betray you. Somehow God's working all of those things out for, his, for your good. That because of nothing but Jesus, there's not only no condemnation, but there's no separation From the love of God in Christ Jesus. That trials can't separate us. Enemies can't separate us. Disappointments can't separate us. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That frees us. That lifts burdens so that we can love authentically. Because it is God who holds us firmly in his grip. In other words, there's no moving on from the gospel. Gospel is the start and gospel is the finish. Whether you're not a Christian yet or whether you've been a Christian for decades, Romans 4 through 11, that gospel, that fuel, that is what propels us. That is what compels us. Jesus isn't just the author of our faith, but the perfecter of our faith. He doesn't just start a good work in us. He finishes the work that he started. The gospel isn't just the overture. It's the whole opera. It's the whole thing. The gospel is the appetizer. It's the dessert. It's the whole of our lives. It doesn't just save us, but it compels us to see what our lives could be. What can your life be? One preacher said, The problem with a living sacrifice is the sacrifice always wants to wander down off the altar. Think about that. Because it's hot up there, it's intense, it's hard, it's painful, it's sacrificial. But the nothing but Jesus life is a life that is freed from yourself. Today is Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem. And the people love him. The people celebrate him, and they should have. He was perfect. He had loved authentically. He had blessed those who persecuted him. He didn't need a sober view of himself because he was perfect. He was God. But a few days later, it was Jesus who offered himself as a living sacrifice for us. 2 Corinthians 5 14 for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake he died and was raised jesus became a living sacrifice for you for me And he offered himself freely. That's what we observe on Good Friday. That when we are filled with awestruck wonder at the gospel, at the mention of Jesus' name, when we truly are gripped by what we sing every Sunday, that Christ is enough, that I surrender all, when we're truly struck by that all-struck wonder at the gospel, as Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, we will begin to love in this way. We will be compelled to become a living sacrifice to others. When we say that Jesus is our everything, when we sing that we adore you, Jesus, when we say that Jesus is the King of kings, when we really, truly are gripped by that, we will change. We will be compelled to love deeply in the way that Paul describes in Romans 12. When Paul says, in view of God's mercy, he's really saying, in view of that lamb that was slain. That lamb that was slain for us. That one who didn't think too highly of himself, who could have felt, who could have thought highly of himself. The one who sits on heaven's mercy seat, that one became a living sacrifice. If Jesus Christ is God and he died for us, then no sacrifice we make can possibly be too great. None. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words have sunk deep into our souls, into our hearts. I pray that we have seen how we have fallen short, how we, what, what our lives could be if we loved in this way. But I also pray that we have seen the hope and the comfort of Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. I pray that we would look on that cross with awestruck wonder, the Lamb that was slain for us, especially as we enter into this Holy Week, as we enter into Good Friday, that narrow path that Jesus walked that we are to follow that thankfully he was crucified for us, that our sins were crucified on that cross. And because of that, this free, burden-free life is available to us. I pray that as a church we would grasp onto that, that we would cling to nothing but Jesus like never before. When everything inside us screams, there has to be something more that we would continually go back, not to the law, not to rules, not to legalisms, not to our own ideas, like a dog returns to its vomit, but that we would continually go back to the cross to fix our gaze, our awestruck wonder on that cross, the lamb who was slain, who was worthy, 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 who was holy, and that that would change us from the inside out, In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.